So hello church, this is Pastor Leo. Do you know I can yodel? Yodelori! Actually, that's all I can do. I cannot do more, but at least I can do a little bit. I hope you have an amazing summer so far. And today we have a speaker in the house. He's not even a guest speaker anymore because he came right now maybe the fourth time. And he's an amazing preaching and teaching gift. His name is Travis Hearn from Scottsdale, Phoenix, America, Arizona. Arizona belongs actually as well to America. They have the same president, Donald Trump. But Travis, what I love about you, you have an amazing, unique gift in preaching and teaching, sharing the word of God. And God has given you open doors in the basketball team, in the baseball team. And you are a coach, you are a chaplain. And I'm so thankful that you came all the long way to Switzerland to preach the word of God. And we have a tradition when we have a guest speakers, we get up and we give him a loud, tremendous, noisy, here's the word noisy, noisy, passionate, Applause. Come on, church. All right. Thank you. Hello. Well, you guys can be seated. How's everybody doing tonight? Everybody's good? Okay, so I have a question. How many of you are actually from Switzerland in this service? Okay, quite a few of you. Anybody from the U.S.? Anybody from the States? Yeah, we got quite a few over here. All right, good. Well, it's good to be here, and uh, this is um, something that we've been blessed to be a part of every single summer. In fact, Pastor Leo, we have him preach at our church in Scottsdale. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background about myself, um, I pastor a church. It's called Impact Church. If you want to check it out, it's impactchurch.com, and it's in Scottsdale, Arizona. So if you're ever in Arizona, we're in Scottsdale, and our church started as a Bible study for pro athletes. In fact, my assistant pastor, he used to play football in the NFL for the Arizona Cardinals. And while he was playing, he started a Bible study in his house. And that Bible study, it had players coming and we catered it and uh, it was really awesome. And eventually we opened that study to the public and that is our church, Impact Church. And so I also pastor uh, the Phoenix Suns. I do Bible studies every single game that they have, one hour before the game starts, down in the locker room. Can you believe that? Isn't that incredible? And both teams come. So whoever we're playing, yeah, give God a, a, a hand because it's pretty awesome. And so whatever team we're playing, they're invited and they come in as well. Uh, but just to give you a, a little bit of picture uh, about my life, uh, this first picture is of my family. And I wanna show you my beautiful wife, Natalie and my three kids, Kylie, Josiah, and Jaslyn. And uh, they are here in Zurich with us, and um, they were with us this morning services, and they're at home packing us now because we gotta leave bright and early in the morning. Uh, but also, I have another picture from the NBA, and this picture is of a famous basketball player, Kobe Bryant, with my kids. And this was Kobe's last game in Phoenix, and so my kids jumped in and grabbed a picture with them. And then one more uh, person that's from the NBA, I thought I'd show you a picture of is a guy named Shaquille O'Neal. And uh, we call him in Arizona, we call him the big Shaqtis because we have a bunch of cactus and, you know, Shaq, Shaqtis. And so that's Shaq. I want you to pay attention. Take notice of the size of my hands and the size of his hands. It's a dramatic difference. He's seven foot, one inches tall, big dude. And this final picture is just a picture of our Impact Church family. This is inside of our worship center. We have four weekend services, just like 
this church does. And uh, Pastor Leo and Pastor Susanna were just with us. In fact, they're with us every year as well. And I don't know if you've gotten to know them yet, but I want you to know that they are amazing leaders. How many of you know they're absolutely incredible? If you've gotten to know them at all, you guys are blessed to have them as your leaders. I have the privilege of traveling all over the world and speaking, and I've preached in Africa, multiple countries, and uh, Central America, and Canada, and Mexico, and all over the world. But I'm telling you, there is nobody like Pastor Leah and Pastor Susanna. They are absolutely incredible. And so it's a privilege to be here with you guys today. I want to talk to you about a Bible story from Acts chapter 27 today. And the title of my message is called Ship Happens. In the US, we have a saying that's kind of like that, only a little bit different. But I wanna talk to you about what to do when your ship has wrecked. In Acts chapter 27, we actually learn that Paul was in three shipwrecks. The Apostle Paul, he was shipwrecked three times. And in 27 of the book of Acts, we learn about this specific shipwreck where Paul, he was being transported from, Rome, uh, from Jerusalem to Rome. He was a prisoner. And while he was being transported, he was being transported to go into trial. And during their journey, a great storm came. In fact, the Bible says that it stormed for 14 days and 14 nights. They were hungry, they didn't have any food, and the boat began to toss back and forth, and it began to fill up with water, and the ship began to sink. In fact, they started throwing cargo overboard in desperation for their lives. And so I wanna talk to you today about what to do when your ship wrecks, because the truth is, is that maybe today you're in the middle of a storm. The real, real truth is this, that is everybody in here will face a storm at one point or another in your life. There's no avoiding it. Life is full of the highs and the lows and the plateaus, right? If you're not in a storm today, the storm could come tomorrow. Maybe you just got out of a storm, but life is about weathering the storm with God's power. And so I wanna give you five things to do when you're in the middle of the storm, when your ship has flipped. One of the just most powerful verses to me in chapter 27 is verse 20, and I wanna read it to you. It says this, that the terrible storm, it raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, and then listen to what it says. It says, until at last, all hope was gone. The reason that verse is so powerful to me is because when all hope is gone is when God has you right where he wants you. You know, it's like, Pastor Leo mentioned I coach basketball. I've been coaching high school basketball in uh, the US, that's ages like 14 to 18. And I've been coaching basketball for many years. And I remember this one time we were getting beat so bad. We were losing by 30 points. And our kids were all stressed out and they were just worried and they were getting upset with one another. And I called the timeout and I brought all the players in and I said, guys, it's okay. We got them right where we want them. And they laughed and they had a little bit of peace in their mind. But the truth is, when all hope is gone, we're right where God wants us to be because now we can get out of the way and God can step in. And so I wanna give you five quick thoughts on Acts 27 of what to do when you're going through a shipwreck. The first thing is this, when you're going through a storm, 
when you've been in the middle of a storm, you need to listen to God's voice. Listen to God's voice. I've met so many people that they don't know how to hear the voice of God. Hey, I'll be honest, even as a Christian, as a pastor, at times, it seems hard to hear the voice of God. Sometimes I wonder, is that God? Is that me? Is that somebody that's telling me something and they've got good advice, but it's not really God? How do I hear the word of God? There's so many great ways, right, in the Bible to hear the, the, the word of God. The Bible teaches us in the, the, the Old Testament that they would listen to the voice of God. They would, they would hear it by the clouds, by night, the fire by day, and follow the presence of God. Remember Moses was spoken to through a burning bush, or Job was spoken to through a whirlwind. You remember Belshazzar, he was spoken to by the writing on the wall. There's all these different ways that God spoke to people throughout the Bible, and God still does the same thing today. He still speaks to us. He still speaks to you. And oftentimes when we're in the middle of the storm is when he's speaking to us loudest. When we're in the middle of the storm, he's really got our attention, and it's in those times that we can hear him the clearest. We need to listen to God's voice. I don't know if you know of a guy named C.S. Lewis, but C.S. Lewis, he once said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is like God's megaphone, right? When we're in pain, God has now got our attention. I'm convinced this, that there's never a time in my life when I'm closer to Christ than when I'm in the middle of a crisis. I'm never as close to Christ as when I'm in the middle of a crisis. My prayer life is never as strong as when I'm going through the valleys of life. Sometimes I pray, God, take this storm away from me. Have you ever prayed that? Raise your hand. God, help me out of this situation. Only five of you have ever prayed that prayer. God, help me out of this situation. And sometimes I think God's saying, why would I let you out of this situation? I love your attention. I love you coming to me and depending on me and clinging to me. And God wants us to listen to his voice. God doesn't stop talking just because the ship has wrecked. God wants to speak to you. He'll speak to you through your conscience, through circumstances, through signs, through wonders, through dreams, through vision, through people, through pastors. But the number one way that God speaks to you, the number one way is through the Holy Bible. Listen, the Bible is hands down. And if God speaks to you through visions, dreams, conscious people, pastors, you better make sure that it's confirmed by the holy written word of God. The Bible always confirms another voice of God. It's the Bible that we hear the heart of God, the word of God. Look what it says in Acts chapter 27 in this story about Paul and the storm. In verses 10, 11, and 21, he says, men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners, he listened more to the ship's captain and to the owner than to Paul. Finally, Paul called the crew together and he said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left for Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm on this boat, the Bible says that Paul was on this boat along with 275 other people. 
There's a lot of people on the boat. Paul's a prisoner. And I can only imagine that the ship's crew wouldn't listen to a prisoner. It's the prisoner saying, yo, guys, look out. We're going to go into a storm. The ship is going to be wrecked. But they didn't listen to Paul. They listened to the captain and they listened to the ship's owner. You and I would probably do the same. But if they would have just listened to Paul, Paul was a representation of the voice of God. If they would have just listened to Paul, they would have avoided all the problems in the first place. You know what I've discovered? That if I would just listen to God in the first place, I could avoid a lot of storms in life. That many of the storms in life that I go through, I brought upon myself. Many of the storms in life that I go through are decisions that I made that put me in this bad situation. And then I pray, God, get me out. Many of life's situations and storms are caused by my own doing. And God is saying, listen, I want you to hear my voice. The most important, crucial, critical thing you can do when you're in the middle of a shipwreck is to hear the voice of God. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down, is to remember that God is with you. You know that God is always with you. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't there. There's nowhere where you've been where God isn't there. God goes with you everywhere. I, I've, I heard one time somebody tell me, hey, I, I just don't feel close to God anymore. I just don't, have you ever felt that way or had somebody tell you that? I don't feel close to God anymore. If somebody tells you that, you know what you can ask them? Who moved? Because God didn't move. Usually we move. I don't feel close to God anymore. Who moved? God says, look, I'm always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, right? The Bible says that God is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And in verse 23 of this chapter in 24, it says this, for last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. This is Paul speaking. Verse 24, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. And then look what he says. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Okay, here's the bottom line. If you are a Christian, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving person of God, you are God's property. You belong to God. There is nothing that can touch you because you are God's property. God's protection is upon you. His peace is upon you. You are God's property. One of the most encouraging ver verses in the whole Bible, it's one of my favorite chapters, is in the book of Psalm chapter 23. This is an incredibly famous chapter. I would say it's the most famous most quoted chapter in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. Maybe in all the Bible, except there's this one really cool verse, John 3, 16. Okay. But Psalm 23, 4 is David talking. And David said this in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because you are what? with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because you are with me. Now in Israel, there was a real valley of the shadow of death. I live in Arizona and there's something called the Grand Canyon. Everybody always says, hey, do you go to the Grand? I've been to the Grand Canyon once and I've lived there my whole life. 
<laughs> There's no reason really to go to the Grand Canyon. You, you go and you're like, wow, that's big. And then you go home. I mean, it's a long drive to go. See, and it's very cool, but it's just like, wow, it's a big hole in the ground. And you're like, yep, let's go home, guys. And it's a four hour drive home. But in Israel, there was a, a real valley of the shadow of death. And it was tall, these cliffs, and the sun would only hit the bottom when it was directly over the top. And David assuredly led his sheep through this valley. In fact, there would be crooks and bandits and thieves waiting in the caves of the valley, and they would try to steal the sheep because, well, the sheep represented money. And so David, he knew exactly. He was making a, an emotional metaphor out of something physical that he had personally been through and understood. Even though I walked through this valley as a teenage boy, I'm sure he was terrified. Even though I walked through this valley, man, I'm afraid, right? Even though I walked through this relationship problem, even though I'm walking through this medical problem, even though I'm walking through this family problem, even though I'm walking through this financial problem, even though I'm walking through depression right now, even though I'm walking through loneliness right now, even though I'm walking through being sad right now, listen, I won't be afraid because I know that God is with me. I know that God is with me. I know that God is with me. He says, even though I walk through, in other words, <laughs> I got bad news for all y'all. You're going to go through the valley. He doesn't say, and hopefully I never walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though it's going to happen, you can count on it. It's going to happen. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens. And David says, when it happens, even though it's going to happen, I walk through the valley. He doesn't say to the valley. Even though I walk through the valley, you know what I'm saying? When I'm in the middle of the valley, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to keep on walking, man. Get me the heck out of here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall, he says, the shadow of death. Have you ever felt like something was, was going to kill you? Have you ever been something where you almost felt like you'd rather not be alive? Even though I walk through the shadow there's shadows all over this building. If you look around, there's lights casting shadows. Even though I walk through the shadow, the shadow, the valley, the shadow, he says, the shadow of death. In other words, it, it might look like death. It might, it might feel like death, but it, it's, it's just a shadow. And you know, there's three things that I've learned about shadows. One is the shadow is always bigger than reality. My church uh, it, it, as I mentioned, it started as a, a small Bible study with, with just a couple people, and now it's several thousand people every weekend. We have a building, and it's on the Scottsdale runway, uh, the, the second uh, highest private airport in the United States of America. So everybody's flying into this airport all the time. We'll be preaching in the middle. It starts you. I mean, we, I have to kind of wait for a minute, let it pass. I'll be like, wait, Jesus is coming. I hear him coming. And you can see this enormous shadow just cast over the top of the church, even though you're inside this huge shadow. And you know what? A shadow has never killed me. I'm still here. So a shadow is always bigger than reality. The second thing is a shadow has never hurt anybody. The third thing is that anywhere there's a shadow, there's always a light. 
And if you turn and look directly into the light, the shadow will fall directly behind you. And Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. God says, listen to my voice. Remember that I am with you. Look what he says here in verse 23. He said, for last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. That's the words of Paul. Listen, he says, don't be afraid. Paul, the angel, don't be afraid, Paul. Surely you will stand trial before Caesar. Oh, and Paul, what's more, I almost forgot to tell you that God in his goodness is granted his safety to you. Oh, oh, and everybody else that's with you. Everybody else that's with you. So don't be afraid. Number three, let's look at this next one, is that when I'm in the middle of a shipwreck, I need to sail with God's people. Sail with God's people. I don't know very many people in here uh, but I know some people in here and I know that they're God's people. I, I know that these three men of God right here are God's people. If you don't know these three men yet, you should get to know these three men. They're God's people. Except for this one over here. He's, he might be, maybe these two right here. These two right here. I'm just kidding, Daniel, sort of. Anyway, how many of you know it's good to be with God's people? It's good to be with God's people. It's good to be, listen, let me just say, because of one man's favor with God, one man's relationship with God, the apostle Paul, because of one man's favor with God, 275 people were gonna live. 275 other people were gonna be saved. It's the perfect parallel of the New Testament and the life of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for you and me, that we are saved. What a parallel, that because of one man's favor with God. Listen, if you don't know anybody with God's favor on their life, you need to find somebody. Because when you're around people with God's favor on their life, it just rubs off on you. It can't help itself. God says you need to be in the right boat with the right people. If you're not around the right people, your ship, it will sink. Don't get in the boat with the wrong people. Look at it again, verse 24. God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Don't be afraid, Paul. You're going to get through this, and not only are you going to get through this, but everybody is going to get through this because of Paul, because of your relationship. Paul, you're all going to make it. It's so important in life to be in the right boat with the right people. When you're going through the trials of life, your friends will either sink you or they'll help save you. The Bible has so much to say about the friends that we choose. In fact, look at this next verse in Proverbs chapter 12. It says this, King Solomon, he said, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know who the righteous is? That's you and me. That's you and I, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. We are made righteous. The Bible says that we are clothed in his righteousness. And he says, choose your friends carefully. Here's the fact, everybody in here, all of us, we have two types of friends. We all have casual friends, which are a result of circumstance, right? 
circumstantial. Hey, they happen to be in my class. They're in my school. They're on my sports team. You know, they're my neighbor. They live in my apartment complex as a casual friend. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, nice to see you. Good to see you too. Casual friends. You know, they happen to be in your family, you know, but you don't own them. You know, anybody have those kind of friends? Like you have, there's a family member. They're really odd. You would never tell somebody that they're in your family. How many of you have had somebody like that? Come on, be honest. You have somebody like, if your hand's not up, that person might be you. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, be careful now, it might be you. So we have casual friends, but the other type of friend that we have is we have close friends. And we get to choose our close friends. Casual friends are a result of circumstance. Close friends are a result of choice. And we need to be prayerful and careful about the close friends that we choose. You remember the saying, show me your five closest friends and I'll show you your future. It's true. Show me your five closest friends. Not only can I show you your future, but I can tell you who you are. Our friends, they shape us, they make us, they mold us. And so God says, you need to get in the right boat with the right people. King Solomon also said, iron sharpens iron. So a friend sharpens one another. The apostle Paul, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that bad company corrupts good character. Doesn't matter how good you are, if you're around bad long enough, you end up becoming bad. This leads me to number four is that I need to cut off the anchors in my life. This is very important, you guys. This might be the most important point in the whole message today is that I need to cut the anchors in my life. Verse 40 in the Bible says this, so they cut the anchors and they left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, they raised the foresail, and they headed towards the shore. Cut the anchors. Cutting the anchors in our life. You know, we have an anchor right here, and obviously we know what anchors are for. Anchors, they hold us into place. Anchors, they keep us right where, right where we are. Anchors, they're heavy, they're weighted, they hold us down. But the problem really isn't the anchor. The anchor itself is not the problem. We need to cut the anchors because of what sometimes we're anchored Two. We could be anchored to all kinds of things, can't we? We could be anchored to sin. We could be anchored to resentfulness. We could be anchored to addiction. Some of you might be anchored into a bad relationship today. You're anchored into a bad business partner. You're anchored into negative people. You're anchored into people who gossip all the time. Let me ask you this. Who are you anchored to? Your closest friends, do they push you towards Christ or they pull you away from Jesus Christ? If they don't push you towards Christ, you need to get in the right boat with the right people. Cut the anchors in your life. Cut the anchors of your life. It's kind of like pruning a tree. I don't know if you've ever pruned a tree. In Arizona, not much grows, but what does grow, we, we prune it all the time. And pruning, it's not only cutting off the dead branches, but it actually also involves cutting off some of the living branches so that they'll grow back even stronger. There might be some branches in your life today 
that are alive, but you know that you need to cut some of those branches off. What are the anchors? What are the things in your life that are holding you down, that are weighing you down in your relationship with Jesus Christ? God is telling you, you need to cut the anchors. Let's move on to point number five. Number five is to be courageous and keep holding on. I love that the Bible has all of the answers to all of life's problems. There's nothing you can, if you told me a problem right now, it's in the Bible. If I said, what are some problems of humanity? And you just shouted them out. Every problem, there's an answer and a solution in the Bible. Every single one of them. You say, what about this? It's there. What about that? It's there. What about health? It's there. What about purpose? It's there. What about decisions? It's there. What about fear? It's there. In fact, the Bible speaks at length about fear in both the Old and New Testaments. People in the Bible were afraid. But I love in this chapter of Acts 27, he actually speaks to the fears in three different verses. In verse 22, he says, but take courage. In verse 24, he says, don't be afraid. In verse 25, he says, so take courage. Again, why can we have courage? Because God is with me. My daughter, Jaslyn, is eight, and my son, Josiah, is 15, and my oldest daughter, Kylie, is 17. And um, Kylie, they all, they all play basketball. You know, we're a basketball family, and they all play basketball. But Kylie, my oldest, has a, a full-ride scholarship to play basketball in college, and so she'll be going to play college basketball. My son, Josiah, he's just going to start high school right now, which in the States, if you're from the U.S., it starts about 14 years old. But my youngest daughter, Jaslyn, is eight. Because she has older siblings, she thinks she's 15 or 16, but she's eight. I mean, her vocabulary is incredible. You know, she's got all this attitude because she's, you know, around all these teenagers, but she's eight. But when she was four years old, I was teaching her uh, how to swim and I remember this one day, we were at this pool, and uh, I was in the water, and I was reaching my arms out, and she was standing on the ledge like this. And I said, I said, Jazzy, and, and her name is Jazlyn, J-A-Z-Z-L-Y-N. A lot of people say, hi, Jasmine, but it's Jazlyn. So if I hear you say Jasmine, I might slap you, but it's Jazlyn, okay. I said, hi, I said, Jazzy, jump down to daddy. She's just looking at me like, there ain't no way I'm doing that. I said, baby, jump. Daddy will catch you. Mm -mm. I said, you want me to go with you? You want daddy to go with you? Yes. So I get out of the pool and I walk over and I grab her hand. I said, you going to go with me? Yeah. I said, okay, on the count of three. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. And we both jump, splash into the water. She comes up, she's laughing and giggling and have so much fun. Why is it that she has no problem doing it with me, but she doesn't want to do it on her own? It's the same reason for us today. When we know that Abba Father is with us, we can jump in the pool with God. When we know that God is with us, we can take that leap. We can have courage in our life because God is right there with us. God is with you. 
God is with me. He's speaking to you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He's leading you, some of you right now, through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, look, you're going to make it. You're going to make it through. It's going to be all right. I'm right there with you. So far, I've preached for two services this morning, and about half of both the services, they lifted their hands to say, hey, Pastor Travis, I'm in the middle of a storm right now. Probably about half of each of the services. They they said, I'm in the middle of a storm. Will you pray for me? I'm in the middle of the storm. And I want to tell them, I want to tell you what I told them this morning is today, if you're in the middle of the storm, I want you to hear this right now. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Your miracle is already in the making. It's already. Do you remember when Abraham sacrificed his one and only son? By the way, it was another parallel of God giving up his one and only son. And Abraham, he was walking up the mountain because God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice the, the, the one and only son that you have. Could you imagine? And he takes him by the hand and he begins to walk up the mountain in obedience, doesn't understand, but he trusts. And he gets to the very top. And right before he does, he looks up and he sees this ram in the thicket that his miracle was in the making the whole time. That God was a part of this process the whole time. Listen, I want to tell you this. Because in verse 43 and in 44, it says something so powerful. He says this, the commanding officer, he ordered all those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. Verse 44, it says, the others, they held on to the planks and the debris from the broken ship. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but when I read that, this is what I read. That God's miracle doesn't always come in the form of a lifeboat. It doesn't always come in the glamour and the flashiness or a helicopter around us. Sometimes God's miracle comes through our brokenness in life. Sometimes it comes from the shattered debris in our life. And if we can just hang on and have courage and hang on to Jesus, then God says, my miracle is in the making. Through your brokenness will come God's blessings. I want to pray with you if you'll bow your heads with me and close your eyes just for a moment. Some of you need to hear this today. There's always purpose for your pain. We all experience different kinds of pain. There's emotional pain. There's physical pain. There's even spiritual pain. But there's always a purpose behind our pain. We may not always know the purpose or understand fully the purpose, but God never wants to waste a hurt. Some of you today, you're in here and you've been hurt deeply. God says, I want to use your pain. God specializes in turning our misery into our ministry. 
Today, God says, I want to take your misery and I want to turn it into your ministry. Today, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're not in the boat with Jesus. You need to give your life to Jesus today. Maybe you never have, or maybe you've gone astray and you've wandered off track, but today you say, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. Today, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if you know about Jesus, but today, do you want to know Jesus? If that's you today and you say, today, I need to give my life to Christ. Would you just lift your hand in the air so I can see it? Go ahead, lift it, don't be shy right now, lift it. That's why we're here today. All of us is to draw closer to Jesus. I see several of you, anybody else? Today I wanna give my life to Jesus. I need to get back on track with Jesus. If you lifted your hand, you can put it down. And I want you just to pray this prayer silently from your heart right now. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Today, I wanna live for you because you died for me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. The Bible says, when you become a Christian, that all things are made new, that the old is gone and the new has come, the Bible says that God will take your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west, that he throws our transgressions into the sea of forgetfulness. Today, I want you to know if you say a prayer, Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. Then you are a brand new creation. The second question I wanna ask you today is the same question I asked both services this morning. And that is this, are you in the middle of a storm today? Are you in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death? Today, if you're in a storm, I wanna pray for you. Would you just put your hand in the air so I can see it? I'm in a storm today, Pastor Travis. I see you, lots of hands, lots of hands. Anybody else, I'm in a storm today. Jesus, I pray for those hands and those people who have their hands in the air right now. God, I pray that you would minister to them in the middle of this storm. The word of God says that your peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, that God, even though we're going through hell, we can be surrounded by heaven. We can be filled with heaven. Today, I pray for your peace, God. Your peace and nothing less than your peace, God, that surpasses all understanding to guard us, to protect us. God, I pray that you will see us through this valley. God, that at the end of this valley comes a great story, a great testimony. At the end of this valley comes an incredible story that I can share with others about how mighty you are, about how powerful you are. That God, there's a purpose for my pain. God, there's a purpose for my pain. God, don't waste this hurt of mine. Don't waste this hurt of mine. God, use it for your glory. 
Use it for your glory. I want you to stand to your feet with me just for a moment. And today, if you want to be prayed for, or you said, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ, we have a prayer team that would love to pray for you. They're up here on the, the your right, my left, and you can go head over there right now if you want. They'd love to pray for you. We're going to worship together a little bit, but I'm going to pray for you right now. God, I thank you for everybody here today, everybody that's listening today. God, I pray for your love and your favor upon their lives. God, we pray for your grace and mercy, and we thank you. God, for your grace and mercy upon our lives. God, we love you and we worship you as we sing together. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. trust your sovereignty when there is no clarity because I can't sit forever in my disappointment and pain. I'm going to stand and I'm going to sing again, sing again, sing again. Fear loves to limit you. Fear loves to keep you where you are. Fear wants you to do what you have always done and never do anything else. Fear wants to shackle your potential and fear always wants to limit you. But every everlasting change starts with the Word of God. The Word of God has a power in it like nothing else. Jesus, I'm afraid. Jesus, let's do it. And there are moments when you are in a ladder, when you are facing an area where you're super afraid. Pray, grab, hold, face, and please don't give up.